Good morning. Our readings for today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 4 to 40. And if you are using the church Bible, you can find it in page 889 to 890. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with strict, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on the, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent for this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captives to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandik, which means Queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said. 
unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Celine. Um, if you can have your Bibles open to Acts chapter 8, we're starting this new series uh, through the uh, book of Acts. We went through 1 through 7 a long time ago. We're coming back to it um, as somewhat, uh, somewhat of a follow-up um, to our church vision series. We want to also go back um, to Acts and learn from the church um, there. But uh, let's pray that this morning that God will speak to us uh, through this passage. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks that you are alive and well, that you are the one in control, uh, one uh, in control over history, over the nations, but also over the church. And Lord, we thank you that, uh, for being the head of this church, and now we pray that you'll conform us to the image of your son, uh, to the, the, the image of the church that you intend us to be, uh, that we might shine your light and bring your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we're honest, we know that racism is alive and well, even in Hong Kong. A filmmaker, Tammy Chung Hong, uh, pointed squarely to it in an interview. Uh, she said, well, we have this hierarchy, white people on, on the top, then Chinese, then people with brown skin like those from Southeast Asian countries like Indians and Africans. Most people don't talk about it, but we, still, um, we consider ourselves as victims, yet we look down on other victims. Well, it's not just these. Uh, we also discriminate against the domestic helpers. Uh, we treat them as second-class citizens. And I've heard stories of racism even in this church. But racism in the time of the Bible was actually in some ways even more overt and even more serious. Take a look at verse 4. We read verse 4 today. Uh, that Philip went down to city in Samaria and proclaim the Messiah there without thinking too much about it. But Jews, like Philip, did not associate with people of Samaria. It was racial enmity born out of hundreds of years of history. You see, Jewish people viewed the Samaritans as racially impure. They were sort of half-breeds, half-Jews, uh, who were forced to marry foreigners and take on foreign gods. 
the racial tension was so bad that in the 6th century BC, when the Jewish people came back from exile, uh, the, the, uh, the Samaritans offered to help, but they refused. And the final nail in the coffin was in the 4th century when the Samaritans then built their own temple in Mount Gerizim and rejected most of the, all of the Old Testament except the first five books of the Bible. Jews did not associate with Samaritans. So you see, verse 4 is a huge deal. It was the moment when the church went beyond Jerusalem and Judea, beyond the Jewish people. It reached uh, Samaria back in chapter uh, 1, verse 8. Jesus promised, but when uh, what you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what we see happening in verse 4 is this fulfillment of Jesus' prediction. Jesus is saying that the gospel will go from Judea into Samaria. In fact, this expansion was such a big deal that we see here in chapter 8 that we don't see anywhere else in the, the book of Acts or in the Bible. What we see here is a bit of a two-step conversion. Where we, see, we have the water baptism first and then coming of the Spirit next. So if you look at verses 5 and 6, we see there Philip going down there to preach, driving out demons, healing the sick, just like Jesus did. Many Samaritans come to believe in Jesus, and as we see in verse 12, people are baptized, both men and women, even Simon the sorcerer, as we've heard. And this is actually how usually uh, conversion stories end, with people getting baptized. But we, get, we then get this response from the apostles in verse 14. When the apostles hear that the Samaritans had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Gospel going out to this this hated group was so extraordinary that they send their most senior apostles to confirm it, to verify it. Right? And so they go and they see all these believers in Samaria, and so they lay their hands on, on, on them, and the Holy Spirit comes down on them. Verse 16 is what uh, a scholar Howard Marshall calls the perhaps the most extraordinary statement in Acts. It's extraordinary because only in Samaria we see people who were baptized but did not receive the Holy Spirit. This two-step conversion was extraordinary. And from this chapter, the Catholics and the Anglicans uh, and many have developed a theology of baptism and the confirmation. We baptize people, and the bishop comes, lay hands, uh, lays hands uh, on, on, on the people, uh, and uh, puts a little oil sign of coming of the Holy Spirit. Or the many charismatic brothers and sisters have developed theology of baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is then seen as distinct from the baptism of water. But both seem wrong to me because what happened in Samaria was out of the ordinary. Usually, the Holy Spirit comes when people, are, people believe and they, they're, they're baptized. There's no separate confirmation or baptism of the Holy Spirit in the rest of the Bible. 
If we go back, actually in Peter, Peter in chapter 2 taught precisely this in his first sermon, that the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit would come when they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, 38 to 39. And Paul agrees with Peter and writes that it's so, such a big deal that Christians have the Holy Spirit. That he writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. What it means to be a Christian is a person who has received the Holy Spirit. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of, salva- of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him uh, with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed, you were marked with the promised Holy Spirit. So why is it that the baptism water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit are two separate things in Acts 8. Well, it seems that God wanted to highlight the importance of this moment, the weight of this moment. When the gospel breaks out, it's no longer a Jewish sect, but it goes out into the nations, to the Samaritans and to the ends of the earth. Let me quote a commentator here. It says, "At, at this turning point in the mission, Something else was required in addition to the ordinary baptism of the converts. It had to be demonstrated to the Samaritans beyond any shadow of doubt that they had really become members of the church in fellowship with the original pillars. An unprecedented situation demanded quite exceptional methods. Usually, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, happened. That's what... uh, Sorry. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens actually unusually three times uh, in the in, in book of Acts. Uh, and you might say that there are three Pentecosts in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2 and 8 and 10, which then corresponds to the progress that Jesus talked about in Acts 1-8. When the, the, when the gospel goes from Acts, Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes on the Jewish people and the people gathered in Jerusalem. Right? In Jerusalem, there's that Pentecost. In chapter 8, in this place, we see the Holy Spirit coming down again, now on the Samaritans. And we see this one more time in the book of Acts, and it's when the gospel goes out to Cornelius, to the Gentiles, when the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. We read in chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. There's that outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the gospel goes out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And God wants to confirm that this is what he is doing. And if you noticed, actually, Peter is there in all three places. And actually, after this episode, Peter fades uh, into the background Acts 8 is this momentous time in history when Christianity becomes global, global movement. And the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in the same chapter has the same message. Here, we see the gospel continuing to expand, not just geographically, but racially and socially. We know that in verse 27 that he's a eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury. He's probably not a pure Gentile because, as you can see, he's coming back from Jerusalem, right? He's probably what we call proselyte, uh, 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 pros- God-fearing Jew, proselyte. 
um, a Gentile who was converted into Ju Judaism. That's why he went uh, to Jerusalem. But, uh, and uh, the Gentile, that, that expansion happens in chapter 10 with Cornelius. And we're told there that he's reading Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. Uh, but it's not a coincidence, I don't think, that only a few chapters later, in chapter 56, Isaiah talks about salvation reaching the foreigners and even the eunuchs. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, to, to, uh, if you, in the church Bible, it's 600, page 600, uh, 603. Uh, if you can open up to Isaiah chapter 56, take a look at verse 3. Isaiah 56, verse 3. It is found on page 602, 602. Isaiah 56, verse 3. Isaiah writes, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. Here, it talks about the, how the gospel will go to the foreigners and even to the eunuchs. And Deuteronomy chapter 23 forbid, forbade eunuchs from worship. Foreigners were forbidden from worshiping Yahweh God. But here, Philip is bringing the gospel to this Ethiopian, uh, to this eunuch. The message is that the gospel is for all people. It's no longer just for the Jews. It is for everyone in this, in this world, uh, whoever they are, whatever their social standing is. In, the gospel is for all people and it makes people a family in Christ. To be a Christian means being part of an international family of God. Martin Luther King Jr. called the Sunday, uh, Sundays in America, the most segregated hour in the U.S. Thank God that the churches have been changing since then. Slowly, much too slowly, but thank God it's been changing. And in places like Hong Kong, we see international churches like this one, Shaten Anglican Church, which are visible signs that God is bringing people of all nations, people of all social class and education and background as a family of God together. But having said that, that doesn't mean, though, that we're cured of racism that's in our hearts, is it? That is there, the prejudice that sits in the corner of our hearts. And the barrier doesn't have to be race. There might be corner of our hearts that has the sense of superiority or inferiority based on our nationality or income or education or looks or gender, jobs, social class, or whatever it is. The message of this chapter is that the gospel is for all people and it makes a family, uh, uh, families from all those different people that Christ is for all. And I think chapter 8 also is the place where we see some, uh, very clearly that it's the Spirit, that, that it's the Spirit's work uh, uh, behind it all, that it is the Spirit that's orchestrating the history and the people in order to bring people into, uh, uh, under, under the Lordship of Christ. If you know a little bit about Acts, you know what happened in chapter 7. Chapter 7 should have been devastating. Young Stephen, the deacon in the church, an eloquent speaker with many different talents, is stoned to death. And the persecution breaks out against Christians. But take a look at what happens as a result of this persecution in verse 4. 
Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The persecution brought the gospel beyond Jerusalem into Judea and now into Samaria. Although the Spirit is not mentioned there in chapter 7 or in, chapter, in that story, the Spirit is at work. This is what God said, Jesus said, would happen. God uses it to bring his purpose out in bringing the gospel to Samaria. And God, we see that God is in charge over it all. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we see this throughout the history as well. And we know about uh, the the communist China back in uh, uh, 1949, how 637 China inland missionaries were expelled. It seemed like it was a total disaster. Within, but within four years, 200, 286 of those missionaries had been redeployed all over Southeast Asia and Japan. And China Inland missionary, uh, Missions uh, changed, changed their name to OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship, uh, because those who had been scattered everywhere, they didn't stop. They kept on preaching the word. They went everywhere and brought the gospel. And we know also what happened in China. The word kept on spreading. Christianity kept on growing. These days, we fear President Xi. His recent crackdown on Christians in China. Friends, God is in control. The Spirit knows what he's doing. He is sovereign over all things. He's working to bring people to himself. So that's what we see in this macro level. But we also see in micro level... Uh, with the story of Ethiopian eunuch, how the Spirit is at work over history. Throughout history, we see God moving. Uh, Luke records in verse 26, so chapter 8, verse 26. There, uh, he, he mentions the Spirit, and he mentions the angel of the Lord, right? In verse 26, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go down to that desert road. And we hear the Spirit uh, direction again in verse 29, uh, when he tells Philip to go near the chariot. We find when he gets there that that God has been working in his life already. The Spirit has prepared his heart for years. I mean, he's a man returning from worship from Jerusalem, from Ethiopia. You know how far that is, right? And he had an important job. It wasn't like he he could just take a few days off, right? He probably said to his boss, could I take a few months off? Well, where are you going? Well, I want to go to Jerusalem, why? I want to search for God. That's the conversation that he had. He's been searching for the true God. And when Philip gets there, he hears this man reading the book of Isaiah, the book in the Old Testament that arguably speaks most clearly about how Jesus, how the Messiah has to suffer and die for us. And Isaiah, if you've read Isaiah, it's a long book too. It's a long book. Uh, Much of it is devoted to judgment and how, uh, how difficult it is. But here, when he, the, Philip gets there, he hears the official reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The passage that clearly speaks about Jesus' death. So Philip opens the Bible from that passage, as we read in verse 35, and told him the good news of Jesus. And when he's just about done, what does he find? Well, he goes, oh, here's some water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? None of that is coincidence, is it? 
God had been orchestrating, the, the Spirit had been orchestrating this conversion for years. This one-to-one Bible reading from beginning to the end. You see, the Spirit is at work in bringing people to himself. And you might be thinking, well, if evangelism was like this all the time, if the Spirit told me where to go and who to talk to, and it led me to a person who's as prepared as this person, then I would also do evangelism like that. So some people say, actually, that we have to listen to God more closely, that God is always speaking, and there's something to that. But often, actually, even if you pay close attention to God, you might not hear God speaking in this way. And that shouldn't paralyze us. You know, this macro and micro stories should be read together. The story of the persecution as well as the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, in both, the Spirit was at work. In both, in the story where we don't hear of the Spirit explicitly mentioned and another story that we hear of the Spirit mentioned, right? They're both Spirit's work. God is, we don't have to wait. We don't have to wait to hear from God. And we can trust that God is at work about us. And with that confidence, we should go. And we should proclaim wherever we are. It's the Spirit who has placed us in our families, workplaces in Hong Kong, and our friends, friendship circles. Wherever we are, we should proclaim the good news of Jesus. Niels uh, recently told me the story of uh, his time as an apprentice in London. He told me that, you know, apprentices all ate lunch together. And one day he thought, well, why do we all eat lunch together? There are so many people who don't yet know Jesus. Maybe I should just take my lunch outside today. So he took his lunch and went outside. And he saw people sitting around in the benches. And he saw one of them just sitting by himself. And so he thought, well, maybe I should go and talk to that person. So he brought his lunch, sat next to that person, and started talking to the person. That person wasn't a Christian at all. But then Neil says that he ended up reading the Bible one-to-one for over a year. If you ask him, were you listening intently to the Spirit? Well, maybe. You know, there was that prompting, wasn't there? Maybe we should do something about this. But was it really the Spirit? Well, yes. It was, it's all the Spirit. God has placed us wherever we are to proclaim the good news of Jesus. God is at work, and we should be confident, and we should go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus. We don't need to wait. God is in control. But as we go out, we must uh, make sure that it's the gospel that people hear and Jesus whom we proclaim. We haven't talked much about the third story in chapter 8, the story of Simon the magician, the sorcerer. He was a famous figure who made a living practicing sorcery. Verse 9 says that all the people in the city were amazed by him and called him the great power of God. And Philip, when Philip came and proclaimed the gospel of Jesus, we are told in verse 13 that Simon too believed and also was baptized. But if you take a look at verse 13, the same verse, we get a glimpse of what he was really interested in. The rest of verse 13 says, And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. It's not quite fair to say that he wasn't interested in Jesus, but he certainly seems more interested in signs and miracles. 
And of course, when Peter and John arrive in Samaria and the Holy Spirit comes on the Samaritans, he thinks, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want the supernatural ability, uh, the power to drive people, uh, demons out, power to heal. And that's how I made my living before. And that's what it seems that Jesus is offering here. That's what I want. So Simon offers the, uh, to buy the gift of the Spirit for money. The power of the Spirit for, uh, with money. And Peter turns around and rebukes him uh, in the strongest words in verse 20 and on. You see, for Peter and John, signs and miracles were aids that pointed to the message of Jesus, that authenticated the message of Jesus, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the Christ. And it's telling what Luke records Peter and John doing right after he rebukes Simon. Right? Take a look at verse 25. He rebu- rebukes Peter, uh, Simon in verse 24. In verse 25, Luke writes, After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. They testified about Jesus. They preached the gospel in all the Samaritan villages. They proclaimed Jesus Christ. Miracles were an aid, something that authenticated that message, but not an end in itself. This chapter 8 also uses, introduces us to a, a, a Greek word called you angelizomai. You is good news, right? So it, uh, an angelos is message. It's preaching of good news. Preaching of good news. It occurs five times in verse 4, 12, 25, 35, and 40. And I think 35 gets it quite right. It says it's the good news about Jesus. They didn't come to do miracles. They came to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And that's what we hear in the next story, right? In the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. What did Philip tell? Well, we see the content of his message. It was Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8 about the sheep that was led to the slaughter. It was about Jesus' death. If you have the Bible, once again, if you can turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, um, on page 600 in church Bibles. It talks most clearly about who Jesus is and why he needed to die. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pains and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins. Good news is that he was crucified on the cross for our penalties. Simon the magician didn't quite get it. I don't think it's worth asking whether he really was a Christian or not. I don't know. But he is a warning for us all who are tempted in the same way. What do we want? Are we seeking Jesus? Or are we seeking to get what we really want from him? Prosperity, power, health, education, status, money. Pursue Jesus because he's the good news. Stick to the good news of Jesus Christ his death on our behalf. And if you do that, it will melt your heart. 
of racism. It will melt away your sense of superiority and inferiority. It will bring you to the family of Christ. Stick to the good news of Jesus Christ. It will give you the confidence to see that God is at work all around us. It will, bring us, it will give us, us the boldness and the joy to proclaim the good news of Jesus wherever we go. Stick to Jesus Christ. For him, in him, you have everything that you need. For he is the good news that's given to you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that through your Son, a new people are born. Uh, through your Son, that we receive your Holy Spirit. Through your Son, we can have the confidence to go out, knowing that you are in control, that that, you, that, that power is in us. And Lord, we pray for Shatin Church. We pray that you would cure us of our prejudices and our racism that's in our hearts. We pray that you will cure us of our fear, fear to go out and fear of not trusting you, uh, that you have sent us out into our families and workplaces. And we pray that you'll also cure us of disbelief that you are everything that we need. Help us to be people of Jesus. Help us to be people who are close to him, and may we proclaim Jesus Christ in word and in deed wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, Acts is really about the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, and we are continuing um, that work. And so the song that we're going to sing now is uh, facing a task unfinished, uh, to remind ourselves that that is a task that still needs to go. And this is also a time of our offering. So if you're visiting us, uh, please don't feel obliged to give anything at all. We're really glad that you were able to join us. This is for the church family. And let's uh, stand and let's uh, sing together, uh, facing a task unfinished.